Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome to A Dash of Drush, weekly reflections on our world through the lens of Torah. Welcome back. This is uh, part two of our little mini-series of podcasts on creativity with my good friend, Reverend Pedro Silva. And we're back, and we're going to focus a little bit now on this conversation, in this conversation about, about the power of poetry, spoken word, the writing of poetry. And when we're talking, and we talked a little bit about art and creativity uh, in our last episode and imagination, we touched on a little bit, but there's something about poetry that has a a power to it that is way beyond any other kind of text. And I think that's what we're going to look at. So, you know, I th- I'm thinking of some examples in um, in the biblical traditions when there's when biblical poetry is there, it's saying, "Hey." pay attention to this in a different kind of way this is this is not like a a harsh text that's telling you how to live your life this is a this is a poem that is inviting you in to soften your heart and to enter into an imaginal realm where you can like cross over a sea in a in a miraculous way where something else can kind of happen and what's interesting to me about that is that at the end of the Torah, in the book of Deuteronomy, right before we have this poem, Ha'azinu, which is this epic um, biblical poem in, in Deuteronomy, the whole of the Torah is referred to as Hashira Hazot, this poem. And so it seems to me like one of the things I think that we both share, Pedro, is this idea that fundamentalism a way of saying seeing a text as only having the possibility of meaning one thing is really dangerous for our world. I think you and I both agree with that. And you mm-hmm. can't be fundamentalist when you're looking at a poem because the whole idea of a poem is that there are multiple ways to experience it, multiple ways to interpret it, multiple ways to understand it. And if you try to reduce it to only meaning one thing, then you've lost the point of what it is, right? What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. And I was raised fundamentalist. So I um and probably out of from a nature standpoint, my brain is probably more uh adaptable to fundamentalism initially. Um, but poetry actually um kind of broke through that. And when we were talking earlier about setting this up, and I was saying poetry is always new. Like it doesn't matter if it's a hundred years old or it's a thousand years old or a million years old or one day old. Poetry is always new because the person who's perceiving it, reading it or anything like that becomes a part of it. And so um, I think that what fundamentalism ultimately ends up doing is it ends up becoming the denial of a person's humanity because the humanity is a part of everything that's created. Um, Even the witnessing of things is transformed um, transforms what we witness by us witnessing it. And they've even looked at that on like a quantum physics level. And I think poetry is like almost like a, um, an acknowledgement of the reality that, the, that the, the part of being a present human is a part of all creative enterprises. And when we take words that could be conditioned to say this word means this, 
But then when you put it into poetry, all of a sudden that word becomes new and it becomes like something that you never thought of before. And that's what I, I'm excited about, about poetry in and of itself. Yeah. yeah. I love that. You know, there's, uh, you just reminded me, there's a, the sh- one of the shortest poems I know by heart by Emily Dickinson, who mm-hmm. said, a word is dead when it is said. Some say, I say it just begins to live that day. Mm, yeah that's That's awesome what you just remind me of like a word has to just take on its own life once it's in a poem it can take on its whole new life that's what you said i really love that and then now i think we're both going to share some things that we've written but like there's something uh before we do that there's something about the process of writing a poem and the process Mm -hmm. actually the spoken word of actually saying a poem out loud Mm -hmm. that's it's a little bit different. Do you want to just reflect a little bit on the difference in that process? I know you've led poetry workshops and you've shared your own writing. And sometimes people like read poems that they really love from other people, you know. That's also been a journey for me. Like I was telling you last time that I used to want to be a hairstylist, right? Before I wanted to be a hairstylist, I wanted to be an artist like with paint. My mom said, oh, can't make any money doing that. Then I'd shifted to wanting to be a hairstylist where I could make money. But then my dad didn't accept that. So then I tried to resist poetry because my mom wrote poetry. My uncle wrote poetry. My aunt wrote poetry. So I didn't I wanted to do my own something. But then eventually I chose the um, accessible in that it was a part of who I was and accessible, acceptable round of writing because my family my mom instead of buying me a paintbrush and an easel bought me a typewriter and said boy you're not going to paint you're going to be a a writer so it's like i was forced into it but once i did um start writing it i thought i want to paint something with words and so i used the poetry that way and and i only kept it for myself and i didn't want other people to read it i didn't want other people to hear it um and then jumping forward a couple dozen years i um i didn't like public speaking and i was trying to get over overcome that and my first attempt at overcoming it was comedy and i i bombed and no one <laughs> laughed so then i said okay and then i thought well i have all these poems i've written i could just read these in front of people and then once i did that i realized that that's why i realized that the poems are always new because I had shared different poems and I shared one in a workshop and it was about um, the lightness and light and dark, you know, and, but this guy heard it and said, man, that poem was amazing. And he was like, I can't believe you caught it. And he's like, I'm in love with, it was a white guy. And he said, he said, I'm in love in a black woman and you perfectly like described our relationship. And he's like, he's like, I, I felt that poem. It's about a white guy in love with a black woman. Right. And I was like, in my mind, I'm thinking, why would I, why would he think I wrote <laughs> this poem about this white guy in love with this black woman? You know, I, first of all, I'm a black dude. So I, I mean, it, maybe it would have been the other way around, but, but which it wasn't at the time. Um, but I was like, wow. And I just let him have that, you know, and instead of correcting him, I wanted to correct and say, no, I had nothing to do with that. But he was so happy that I just said, you know, you know, poetry is for everybody, you know, well, it's like good art. Whether it's yeah. a poem or a song or a painting, even yeah. art, pe- people find themselves and their own experience in it. That's what makes it. Yeah. And it, and it made it bigger to me. Yeah, it made it bigger to you and to him and to the world. 
you know right. bad art is like bad religion and bad science where you're trying to drum down it's not about answers like people right you know some people go to religion wanting the answers and and i think you and right. i think it's all about curiosity and and yeah. the right questions and a poem can really help people ask questions or reflect in a different way so anyway maybe we should stop talking about it and share some what do you think you got yeah got a poem you're going to share yeah let me uh let me pull it up i got so caught up in the conversation um but this poem actually that i'm going to share was um the the curious thing about it was that i was in a conversation about um bridging which is the kind of work i do bringing people together across differences and um sometimes people because i was raised fundamentalist i don't i'm not objectly against the notion of why some people choose that path because i think that it, it answers a question that they might have um it's not the same questions i'm asking anymore and i do think there's some danger to it and so i said to a person who was kind of like completely like wants to write off people who might make that choice and i said well sometimes i think that they're they really just need to cry, but instead they shoot bullets. And when I said that, I didn't mean anything by it. But then I, after I said it, I thought about it. And then I wrote a poem about it. And this is this is the one I want to share. It's called Shots to the Heart. And it says, uh, what if bullets are just proxy tears for people afraid of crying, expressing emotions they can't control that result in other people dying? What if bombs are actually heart attacks of those too tender to unload? that finally, when it all comes out, they cause the radius to explode. What if nukes are really suicide for people scared to die who threaten to destroy the entire world rather than face what they can't hide? That they're secure in insecurity, spreading the virus of toxic shame because they're drowning within finitudes of all they stole to gain. Wow. Can you read the last few lines again? Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll start if, uh, from what if nukes. What if nukes are really suicide for people scared to die who threaten to destroy the entire world, rather face what they can't hide? That they're secure in insecurity, spreading the virus of toxic shame because they're drowning within finitudes of all they stole to gain. If you tried to give over that message in a in a sermon or a class, or it would be, it would be so different. Like there's something about. I mean, the message is clear, but like there's something about inviting people into the message through the poem that that has mm -hmm. a really different, really like an opening. Yeah, effect. yeah. When I posted online, and one guy, I don't know him at all, but he wrote and said uh, something like, "He was a white guy." Um, and he said, this is so against everything I like I am. He said, and it really has me thinking. And I was like, and I don't know what he was thinking about. I just said, thanks for reading it. But he acknowledged it. You know, it was I don't know. I could imagine that he I have a lot of friends that are really into having a lot of guns, like from the military and some other buddies. And, you know, when I was fundamentalist, they were fundamentalist, too. So I still know them, you know, and um, and I when we're together, I don't experience uh, they know that I think differently than I did when I was younger. And they and we challenge each other and we go back and forth a lot. But I think that they also know that I hear them 
at the same time. And I think that in many ways, and I've even had some of them who'd say, I completely disagree with you. And then they would say, but I hope you're right. And I and I I couldn't make sense of it at first. I used to go like, "What? You completely disagree with me, and you hope I'm right?" And I and I understand why. And I think the poetic dimension of articulating, like that, like if for in fact, if bullets are proxy tears for some people, like they really are like holding a lot of pain, and they really need to cry, but they can't because of a system that tells them like, this is what it means to be a man or whatever the case may be. Then they store all those tears in those little bullet, those little bullet cases, wow. you know? And like, they're just like containers for all the tears they haven't shed. It's like, there's something like when I think about um, when that came to my heart and I wrote it, and I think about some of my friends, I like feel like crying, Yeah, you know? I feel like crying for them. And I don't even know, they might say, whatever, that's not true. But I think it might be because I used to be like them. So I feel like right. I'm but not just reading their heart. I'm reading my go heart. Go back to what I said before. If you just said to, to one of the, the one of those those friends, hey, you owning guns is just because you're afraid to cry. They would just right. like, absolutely close down and not not be able to listen to anything you say. But you right. share it home, whether you share it on Facebook or you share it, you know, live or whatever, it's gonna have a different impact. It's powerful. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I might get shot if I said it that way. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Listen, I, 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 I thought maybe, you know, we maybe each share something that we've written and then and then maybe each share like a, a, a poem like written by somebody else that, that moves mm. us. I don't know if you've got anything in mind, but I, I have something that I might share. Do you have a favorite poet just out of curiosity? Mm. Not really, not really. But I do have like uh, right in front of me. I have "Love's Ripening" by Rumi. Oh, which yeah. Is just, just it's just it. yeah. I have Hafiz and Rumi like just kind of yeah. like I have Hafiz by my nightstand and yeah. Rumi on my desk. So maybe they're favorites. I don't know, but I uh, I like read. I pull it open and read it like randomly sometimes. So I, I'll tell you what. I'm going to. Um share um something that i wrote it's it's from a few months ago but it's mm. it's, it's relevant it's really about um time and our relationship mm. to time because i've just been mm. haunted by that recently mm. what that's another week gone by seriously mm -hmm. and just how it just time seems to just speed up right now it's mm. so illusory so this is um something i wrote actually i I was, it was, I'd seen a play that, um, you know, another beautiful art form that cousin of mine had worked on. And it was a lot of the themes in the play really touched me. And it's about this. Anyway, it goes like this time wasted, time spent, time lost, time gained, time passing, time saved, time squandered, time fooling us that we control it. Time controls us. We swim in time, oceans of time, beaches of time. If we live in time, we can't waste time. Time is a weaver. Time is a spider spinning, trapping us like flies, translucent webs of mystery, past and present, caught perfectly suspended, alluring, reassuring, invisible mending, patterns of eternity, stitches of immortality, grasping uncertainty, swallowing doubt, recreating, remembering, re 
remembering, counting each moment, making each moment count, spinning, dancing, believing, deceiving, time, 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 drawn in the sand, lost at sea, message in a bottle from the future and the past, nothing really lasts, broken threads, patchwork, holes, fragments, eternity. Yeah, man, you caught it. Time is like a paradox. Like when you hear it like that, it's like the both the the sense of it gives you the the candle burning at both ends sometimes, and then at the same time, without being able to reflect on it, the like trying to grasp timelessness or eternity is only for most of us in the human experience. In contrast to time. Right. It's like we're we're trying to escape time into timelessness. Right. Um, and it's just like a uh, just very like very interesting. And then you got that British accent, so it makes stuff sound good anyway. So you can yeah. you know. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, time, time, time. Yeah, it's uh man, I, it's so much that could be said about it because and I should say, um, I experienced the poem rather than hearing it, and I um I wish that, and maybe poetry gives us this, is that that space where, like, I, I feel like most human beings are missing out on the thrill um, of being human and just the awareness that, like, I don't even know why I think about it, but you could, we could, each one of us could so easily not have ever existed. You know what I mean? It's like so easily that we could have not ever existed that why not treasure the the fact that you get to be here, even in the things that you don't want. And even the experiences, like if it's like if you have a experience and you don't enjoy it, right? It's like at least you got to know what it was like to not enjoy something. You know what I mean? And they go like, wow, this is what it's like to not enjoy something. Or like if you taste something and maybe it's you get something and you expect it to have the perfect flavor, but then you go, Oh, too spicy. And you want to spit it out or whatever the case may be, but at least you got to taste it. You know what I mean? And I, and I, I don't know. I just like, that's how I feel about stuff. Like I don't really, most feelings I, for a long time, I wasn't really emotional um, as a young person, but I was very much in wonder. You know, I was I, like, I would witness things and be like, watch people. And almost like I got so much out of like just looking at them that I didn't need to get into. Uh, it's like like watching a show or something. And then like in my 30s, I decided that I would like get on stage <laughs> and start being a part of the show as well. Um, <laughs> but but I enjoyed watching people just like experience stuff and i don't know it's kind of I'm rambling a little bit but it's just like even in hearing your poem it's just like man that's the human experience right there like you you wrote about the human experience which is like an hourglass man you know i don't know it's awesome thanks yeah no i i, I love this um this opportunity to share in this way yeah, we me too. Up with each sharing like a part because I've got I've got a, a Mary Oliver poem. It's quite a well-known one that I think I want to read. Yeah, ahead. go for it. You want No, no. Why, why don't you read like Rumi or uh, Hafiz or? All right, I'm just going to grab open. I'm opening this book and I'm reading whatever's here. 
Okay. So uh, this one's called uh, The Dance. And it says, uh, oh, particle, it's time to dance. Don't you know you are the very source of abundance? And whatever you are seeking, you are its very essence. The sun will soon reveal its face and invite the particles to dance. It's good to be dancing, your clothes flying through the air. Oh, particle, one day you will clasp the sun to your breast. You will put your head next to his. That's the point. And he will bring out the wine telling you, oh, particle, drink it down. And once you drink it, you will emerge into the soulful sun. A particle after that drinking became a sun in the empire of epiphany through the tantalizing, you shall not see me. We are unripe fruits in the radiance of your sunlight, but what a dance uh, we're throwing as you do the ripening. Well done, praise ripening and tasteful drinking granted by the soulful sun that has no second. O oh, Shams, my son, you whom I serve, King of kings from Tabris, to whom souls surrender, that surrender my heart and soul know so well. Wow. It's under the heading ecstasy. Yeah, and presumably it's about the uh, the zikr and the derv the whirling dervishes and all of that, that where that dance becomes hmm. I mean that's hmm. another form, you know, talking about poetry yeah. next time. I'm hoping we're going to have a conversation about music. Mm. Dance is not an art form that I'm so connected to myself, but there's a power right. to dance as, as a creative expression and also a spiritual practice in this case. And it's like that yeah. sur surrender that, that he describes at the end there. Wow. Well, I, I think I want to share the poem that's, you know, probably a lot of people know, but it's a powerful one um, by Mary Oliver called The Summer Day. And I just love her, I love the way she writes, but I love her connection to nature and the spirituality mm. that she experiences through the natural world, really. The Summer Day by Mary Oliver. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? The grasshopper. I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? You know, that's what's cool. That was just like a revelation to me because you said, with the line that said, I don't know what prayer is, but I know how to pay attention or something to that effect. Yeah. Like, and I was saying that like for a lot of years, I just like witnessed uh, people and uh, think that like in a lot of ways I was praying, but I didn't realize it. Like I wouldn't have called it prayer per se, 
But I do think that there's a prayer in beholding. And when you like look at things and you behold them, it becomes like a prayer of a prayer about everything. And um, for me, like I, I was telling you, my daughter ended up in the hospital recently with pneumonia. And they said that my oldest daughter was too young to come into the emergency room, but too young, too young also to sit by herself in the uh, waiting room. And I ended up asking them, what do you do about people who are single parents who have more than one kid who end up in the emergency room? You know, and the reason why I'm bringing it up is it gave me a flashback of when I was younger um, and my parents divorced and my brother was really sick in the hospital for the first three years of his life. And when my dad moved away, um, I spent a lot of my time just sitting in a ho ho um, hospital waiting room, waiting for my mom to come back from being with my brother. And I would be there for hours at a time. And I was like four and I couldn't read. So I just was sitting in chair for like hours at a time. Like and my mom would tell me like, don't talk to anybody. So I would just be silent sitting in a chair. And I would hear people saying like, whose kid is that? That kid shouldn't be there by himself. And, but no one would engage me. And that shaped probably the first 30 years of my life because I could sit by myself for like extremely long periods of time, not doing anything, not talking to anybody, not listening to anything and just sitting there. And I, and I uh, relished just sitting in somewhere doing nothing, sitting in a spot with no anything to do. And, um, and I think that that most of my life I was praying, you know, once I learned how to read, I would read a lot, um, which was the main thing I did for a long time too. Um, but it was a prayer, you know, and I felt like, and like I was like in this state of ecstasy and I, I couldn't, but whenever I tried to talk to people about it, I would lose it. Yeah. And so I didn't want to talk to people about it. And uh, that's what I feel like that poem. There's, just there's like, a nice connection between the poem you shared and that poem in that sense, like, you know, prayer can be ecstasy, but prayer can also just be presence and silence you know, it just it just mm -hmm. reminded me of uh, something that my i was reading something from my my teacher Zaman shakta shalomi at the end of his book uh, aging and saging where he talks about the wisdom of aging and he says something like the older i get the less my prayer is about words but just about being silent and letting god love me mm -hmm. something, man something really powerful about that that's well, awesome think, man I think uh, we, we might uh, draw this to a close, but I think this has been beautiful and powerful. Absolutely. I love that we each got to share some of our own writing and share some other really powerful writing and, you know, poetry and prayer, imagination, you know, they're all just uh, deeply connected to each other. So I look forward to uh, to next time and to taking this a little bit further as we delve into the the power of music. Yeah, you know, one final thing I'll say too is like having this conversation. I'm just my first time ever having a conversation like this, the way we're doing it and talking about poetry. I never really did like did this before, and it it actually is bringing up for me like the poetic semblance of like wine, you know, um, which is I, I've heard it lifted up in like mystical poetry a lot, but I wasn't I had never really connected with it i just was like okay man i kind of get it i guess but i actually feel that sense of like you know um 
the, a sense of it, like almost like we sat here. Like we're we sharing had a nice bottle of wine together. Right. Exactly. It feels like that. It feels like it feels like we're we're just in this space of like of of uh, restfulness and we're sharing a nice glass of wine and we just had a nice long conversation. I could feel that feeling, even though obviously we're on Zoom and we haven't had any wine. Um, but it feels like that. And I, and that's awesome because I, that gave me a deeper connection to some other poets who describe uh, mystical and spiritual experiences that way. I, I feel that right now, which is yeah. awesome, man. Well, of course, in Jewish tradition, when we have a glass of wine together, we say L'chaim. So L'chaim for life. Yeah. I'll see you next time. It's great uh, chatting to you. Yeah, same. Yeah. See you soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening to A Dash and Drush. We will see you next time.